Now, if you have a red Bible with you, uh, we're reading from John chapter 9, and it's on page 1075. As Jesus went along, he saw a a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such sign? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parent. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, 
We don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a, blind, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the great uh, joys of being a priest is that you have pastoral conversations with people and I've had many pastoral conversations with people in nursing homes as I've visited uh, the nursing homes. Probably the saddest and the most challenging pastoral conversation I've ever had was a woman in her 80s who recounted to me um, with quite um, vivid memory of shock therapy treatment that she'd received as a child. And in her 80s, she believed that she'd received this shock therapy treatment because she was a naughty girl. And she could still remember the pain in her arms from receiving this treatment well into her 80s. And she still carried the weight of thinking that, um, that she had brought that on herself because she'd been naughty as a child. In many ways, I think society has moved on from a concept that a physical disability could somehow be a result of somebody's sin. There's, there's, has been this view, not in recent times, so some of us who are a bit younger might not remember it, but there still has been this view that somehow a mental illness would be some kind of demonic possession. And so there's been in our even recent past, some connection between sin or some kind of demon possession and some physical disability. I think one of the great growths of what some people might think of political correctness is the idea that we've detached some of those false thinking, but there's more to go in that space. There's more that we need to do to make people understand that creation is itself not perfect. Creation itself is broken and, and has failures in it, and there's, there's some uh, realities to that. So not everybody is in peak physical condition. And there's some reality of the broken nature of creation that means that there are people who have uh, more frustrations with the broken creation in their physical nature than other people. But Jesus, in this interaction, well before what we might think of political correctness, is trying to detach a concept that somehow a physical disability would be as a result of sin. So 2,000 years before we get to where we've got to now, to the point where even an 80-year-old still had a belief that 
uh, a physical thing that happened to her was a result of her own naughtiness. Jesus is trying to detach the concept of sin and the broken uh, physical reality. And so what Jesus is doing in this interaction here is, is he's uh, trying to open somebody's eyes to a spiritual reality. But he's also trying to say that what happens in the spiritual realm actually breaks into the physical realm. There's this sense that the, the, Jesus is lifting people's eyes to the spiritual realm, but then he wants to show them how the spiritual realm is breaking into the physical realm. And so, Jesus, as usual in this story, is flipping ideas on its head. The disciples come to him and say, who sinned? They want to, in the Jewish culture, continue the belief that somehow if someone had a physical ailment, a physical, what we would call a disability, that that was a direct result of somebody's sin. The, 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 the Jewish um, preoccupation with being clean and unclean, it was almost this concept that if somebody had something physically wrong with them, God had given them that in order to tell the world around them that they were unclean and to stay away from them. So not only was it that a person had to deal with the physical disability, but they usually then had to deal with the social isolation that went with that because the Jewish culture taught them, and I'm not making a statement on Jewish culture today, this is the Jewish culture of the, the day of Jesus, that the, the Jewish culture of the day of Jesus believed that a physical disability was a punishment for sin. And therefore, it would be a natural conversation to ask who sinned. Was it the person themselves with the physical disability or was it somebody in their family of origin? Now, the challenge for this particular man was that he was supposedly born blind. So, notice again, it's not like this man's whole story is out for us to, to know about. We're totally only defining him by his physical disability, which shows the culture of the day, that his total humanity is defined in this one thing, which supposedly is a punishment from God for sin. And so, Jesus is saying, no, um, I'm not going to answer that question. It's not a question of whether his parents sinned or his family of origin sinned or he sinned, because that's not the purpose of the conversation. The purpose of this event is to actually challenge the idea that somehow God inflicts a disability as punishment for sin. Jesus is coming along to challenge this idea, flip it on its head and say that it's not as a result of sin. Now, we need to remember that in Genesis, we hear that creation is broken. And so, we do have to understand that there's frailty within creation. There's, there's failure within creation. There is decay within creation. There's decline within creation. And, and that creation, yes, you, you all know in your garden, if you don't water your garden, your plants are going to die. But that that failed, failure and the fragility of creation exists in our bodies too. Our bodies are, are in decay and there's a, a reality of that. There's no perfection in creation. And so, what happens is that Jesus comes along and wants to challenge the perceptions here. Now, this is a challenging passage. This is a challenging passage because in the original language, and I don't speak the original language, I'm going to show you um, a, a scholar's version of this in a second. But in the original language, there's no punctuation. So, if you actually follow the text along there, Jesus replied, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so the works of God may be revealed in him, it is necessary for us 
to work the works of the work of him who sent me while it is day night in coming when no one is able to work that's the original sentence and as you know if you punctuate a sentence differently you can get a vastly different result so jesus is not at all trying to say that say that say this man is 30 years old he's not trying to say 30 years ago jesus uh, uh, god created him blind so that 30 years on from his birth jesus could walk up and heal him so that that would be a miraculous sign to the world no because of the fallen creation and the fact that not everything is perfect in creation this man's eyes didn't develop he didn't have sight something that is a sign of fragility and 30 years later god who takes what was meant for harm and turns it to our good for his glory that's what happens here so one of the scholars and the, and we see this if you read the the text that we just read out if you put the punctuation in neither this man sinned nor his parents full stop so it's he's saying neither his parents or him sinned but so that the works of god might be revealed in him it is necessary for us to work the works of him who sent me while it is day so while Jesus is here he needs to do the works of God what's the works of God to bring the spiritual kingdom of God into the present physical reality so we've been on this journey through the season of Lent of lifting our eyes to the spiritual reality but now we're shifting and next week we're going to do um, the, the raising of Lazarus so again we'll see it the, the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God starts to break into the physical reality the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God actually tells us about how God is transforming the physical reality so punctuated this way the text is actually implying that Jesus is carrying out the works of God so we've put in the punctuation but the interpreters do it with great care with great understanding wrestling with the other texts around it wrestling with other passages about the nature of what Jesus is trying to do so we can accurately uh, believe that this is the intention of the text when you add the punctuation so that we get the right understanding in English of what we're trying to say but Jesus is using very physical examples to demonstrate the spiritual reality that the kingdom of God breaks into the physical so it's kind of like this circular loop he's using a physical example of the blindness to open up a spiritual reality of spiritual blindness but he's also saying that when we understand what's going on in the spiritual realm it actually breaks into the physical realm so Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom this is what the image of while it is day because the night is coming and the night is uh, referring to the darkness that happens when Jesus is put on the cross so what happens is Jesus is bringing in a new era where the kingdom of God is breaking into the the spiritual kingdom where he's been lifting our eyes to the spiritual kingdom is breaking into our world but this whole story is quite an interesting story because what we actually see here is this is actually a very personal attack to the Pharisees it's a very personal attack to the Pharisees because they're used to the Romans attacking them they're used to an outside attack because they're used to seeing the Romans try to um, squash the, the Jewish religion 
The, 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 the Jewish people didn't let the Romans go into the temple or to their synagogues and the Romans had this idea that they controlled the territory so they could go wherever they wanted. And they were used to this fight, but an internal attack from within the Jews to their authority, to their religion. So N.T. Wright, a, a, an Anglican uh, bishop and scholar, says that what's actually happening here is as this becomes an internal attack within Judaism to their authority, their only response is to drive a wedge between Jesus and God. Jesus is saying, by what he's, and, and Janice showed us from Isaiah, when the Messiah comes, sight will be given to the blind. Jesus has given sight to the blind, so it's, it's a claim of Messiahship. And the, even the man himself says, nobody can do anything except from the authority of God. And so what they're saying is, we've got a wedge in there between God and Jesus. So the man is saying that his eyes were healed by the mud that Jesus put on his eyes. And, and the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, are saying, no, 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 it wasn't Jesus who did anything. It was when you went to the pool of Siloam, that must have been what did it. It must have been those fresh, godly waters of our ancient tradition that healed you. So they're trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and God and say that there is no connection between the two. And so it must have been God, not Jesus, who healed this man. And the man keeps refuting that. The man keeps going against that. And notice how um, he acknowledges, the man himself, acknowledges that God, uh, Jesus must have been a prophet. But by the end of the story, he actually worships him as the Messiah. So the man is not getting into these internal debates with the Pharisees. He's just saying, lift your eyes to the spiritual reality of what's going on. And so these religious attacks that are, are known outside are, are, are now becoming more internalised. And Jesus is flipping the religious authority on its head. Now, I don't want to get ahead to Easter, but that's why Jesus is put on the cross. Yes, there's a whole Roman overtone to that, and, and we'll do, deal with that at Easter, but it's because the, the religious leaders are seeing Jesus as an internal religious attack, something that they need to minimise and get rid of. And so, in many ways, being a witness to how God is transforming us is an important way in which we can be a witness to the world. Whenever we fall into the trap of the Pharisees and get involved in internal conflict within the church, it becomes a, a, a witness to the outside world of the problems with it. And so we need to be making sure that we're not drifting into that. Because this story, Jesus is actually, yes, he's trying to open the eyes of people to the spiritual reality. But he's also saying to open your eyes to the spiritual reality is to see how the Messiah, Jesus, is transforming the physical world itself. And we see that in the man being uh, born blind, but having his eyes open. It's a physical transformation, but there's a spiritual transformation that takes place with it. He says he's a prophet, he then worships him as the Messiah. And so we see these two realities taking place in this man. So the blind man is an example to us of the kingdom of God transforming our physical world. It's an example to us of the spiritual kingdom of God breaking into our physical world. So rather than this um, healing being focused on sin, and, and, and 
th there are other occasions where there's an, another discussion that Jesus happens. There's, there's, a, there's an occasion where, where Jesus says to someone that they're healed and then there's a debate about whether he can forgive sins. Or... Jesus doesn't engage in that conversation here. He just heals the man of his blindness. But Jesus is trying to show all of us that there's a spiritual awakening, like a spiritual eyes that we need to be awake to. There's a spiritual awakening that we need to be made aware of. And, and this, this story in the passage here is a sign that the Pharisees are blind. Notice that the end of the passage, it says, well, if you had been, Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you'd been born blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, then your guilt remains. Again, he's, he's actually talking about uh, their spiritual blindness. So this man who has mud put on his eyes, walks to the pool of Siloam and then is healed, becomes a follower of Jesus. It's a, it's a physical transformation that leads to a spiritual transformation. And this man shifts from wanting a miracle to being a follower of Jesus and worshipping. I wonder what the physical transformation in your life has been that maybe led to a spiritual awakening. Because there's probably a story in your life where you've had some physical thing that you've needed urgently to take to God in prayer and it's, it's not actually the physical thing that led to your spiritual awakening, it was the fact that the, the physical thing heightened your spiritual senses and then you turned to God in prayer and it's your turning to God in prayer that actually was your spiritual awakening. And, and right throughout church history, we have great heroes of faith who have done this. Like you think about um, a slave trader who was trading in slaves and then had a radical conversion and then became a campaigner against uh, slavery and wrote a song that, that we think about a, a nun who was sitting on a train and she was working in a really uh, rich private school in India and then had a conversion experience and felt that she needed to go and care for the most poor and the most marginalised and physically transformed from a, a, a very expensive uh, formal nun's habit to the cloth that the poorest of the poor wore and she led a, a revolution in the care of the poor. We see all the time in church history these stories of people who have a physical transformation that leads to a spiritual transformation but we also know that the history of the church is full of non-celebrities, non-saints, people whose stories are never put into books. And we can think about people in this church who have had something happen to them physically that has led to a spiritual awakening. And maybe you've seen that yourself. I don't know what it is for you, but I, I and I've told this story a couple of times before, but for me, it would be sitting in a hospital bed for nine days with a bowel condition connected to a steroid in. Just uh, knowing that, that that paused my journey towards the priesthood and it gave me a sense of a spiritual awakening of what God had called me to do with greater clarity. People had told me I should be a priest and I had started that process, but sitting in a hospital bed for nine days, unable to get out of bed, kind of made me realise when I get well, 
I do actually want to give the rest of my life to with greater fervour, with greater passion than I probably had done before. Sometimes when we actually have something go wrong physically, it's, it's a sign of the broken reality of creation. It actually makes us lift our eyes in a spiritual transformation. So, John 9 is not teaching us to focus on sin. John 9 is uh, teaching us about the Kingdom of God breaking into our world. In many ways, I think our world has rejected a Gospel presentation that starts with sin, the Gospel presentation that's mostly about getting a ticket to heaven. I think actually people want a Gospel presentation where God is somehow transforming our world. And, and most people now, their, their critique of Christianity is, what is God doing about evil in the world? Well, we know that Jesus came to transform and renew creation. The Gospel itself is about the renewal of all things. And yet, when we focused on sin and getting a ticket to heaven, it didn't answer the fundamental question that people are asking, how does God transform the world? God transforms the world through Jesus. Jesus is telling us through this blind man that God loves the world, that God is not just about getting a ticket to heaven, but it's about transforming all things. If Jesus really wanted to get a ticket to heaven for this blind man, he could have snapped his fingers and instead of healing the man of his, of his sight, he could have got him into heaven. But Jesus transforms his sight and sends him back into the physical world to show that the physical world is good and that the renewal of all things is part of the Kingdom of God. One of the reasons every day we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Lord, let your Kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, is because the Kingdom of God is breaking into the physical and renewing all things. So, as we journey towards Easter, I'd ask you to continue to pray for God's transforming work in you. Continue to pray that just like this man, that you too would have a spiritual awakening. The, 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 the mission of our church, the vision of our church is, is living in the presence of God. And that's our hope as a church. Our hope as a church is that we would see more people, just like this blind man, come to be aware of the presence of God in their own life and how that transforms them. And that starts to transform the world around them. So our hope as a church is that we would see more people have a spiritual awakening as they come to understand the life-giving relationship of Jesus. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that it's a reminder to us that even though there is fragility and brokenness in creation, that you are transforming all things and that the Gospel is not about fleeing this world, but it's about your Kingdom breaking into our world. So Lord, we pray that you would equip us and guide us for the renewal, participating in the renewal of all things. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen.